Sonic States. Hello, well, everybody, and welcome. This is uh, Sonic Talk number 143. This will be going live on the 26th of August 2009. We've got a very special guest this week in the shape of one Jordan Rudess, who's keyboard player and technologist extraordinaire. How are you doing, Jordan? I'm doing very well. Thank you. You're currently in, where are you? You're in Canada, right? Where am I? God, I've been floating all over the globe here, and this week I happen to be in Calgary, Canada. So uh, the internet connection is obviously holding up well, as is my home connection, so we're, we're doing fine. I'm always, always very thankful for that. You never know in these hotels. You're, you're on tour with Dream Theatre, right? Yes, we are on our uh, second leg right now of our world tour. This one happens to be what we call a Progressive Nation uh, tour, where we take three other bands with us. And we host this kind of uh, evening of uh, pretty cool music. The, um, the lineup is basically uh, a, gr- a, a young group called Scale the Summit, which are very, very fine uh, instrumental players, uh, followed by Big Elf, which is uh, also a cool group, very kind of trippy rock, somewhere in the Deep Purple uh, Uriah Heap uh, category, I guess, a touch of new. And, uh, and then uh, Zappa plays Zappa. Oh, cool. Right Was that Dwe- Dweezil? You got Dweezil with you? Yeah, we got Dweezil, and he's doing a beautiful job of, you know, just, just really playing this music right. He's a really, really great guy and having a nice time having, having them out with us. It's a killer band. And then, uh, and then after the audience has had their earful of all that stuff, then Dream Theater hits the stage and we do our thing. So uh, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been really great. And we're kind of moving, uh, we're moving west now towards uh, California. At which point, when we finish that, we'll take a couple of weeks off and then come back to Europe and play for all you guys again. Oh, cool. Where are you doing in Europe? Where aren't we doing in Europe? Because how lo- So how long are you out for then, all together? Well, all together, it will be out for almost a year. Although, you know, we take breaks in between the legs. We'll go for like four or five weeks and then come back and, and be with our families for a couple of weeks or even a month sometimes and just kind of break it up. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a tough life. So, I mean, and you do tour a lot, don't you? I mean, in and out of Dream Theater it's, and your other commitments. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're we're on a schedule. <laughs> you can believe that, a rock band on a schedule. We, we tend to tour like every other year. So we'll tour, then we'll come back and make an album, and then we'll go on tour again. And it's it's, it's kind of like a job in a way. <laughs> what a concept. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, tell me a little bit more about how the tour is going, because, I mean, obviously you've been touring for some time and um, things have changed kind of technologically over the time. I was looking through your uh, tour list and you still I don't know whether it's current. I mean, obviously, I'm at the mercy of Wikipedia at the moment here, so uh, you'll have to bear with me if I get uh, a few of my facts wrong. Um, But the live setup looked um, there's a picture of you on the on your Wikipedia page with a rather massive what looks like a synthesizers dot com modular behind you. Are you still taking that out? Uh, actually, I'm not. I, you know, that's a wonderful synthesizer. It's um, it's now sitting right next to my uh, Steinway Grand Piano in my house. Um, I just I just like the way they they look together, and there's a good feel about it. But I could, you know, what I felt really bad for my crew guys because when I would arrive early to the gig and I'd see them lifting up that monstrosity, I would just my heart would sink, and I and I just felt like you know what, this is fun, it's great, but honestly. I'm not playing it that much in the course of an evening. And between you and I and everybody else that's listening, I can get close enough to that sound, you know, at least the sounds I was using on it sure. with, with the other stuff. I mean, I really it wasn't. Makes, it makes quite a statement, though, doesn't it, taking something like that on the road? I mean, that's quite a major commitment. I was talking to some other chaps recently, and they're thinking of starting a business that is actually taking shells of um, things that look good on stage, effectively, and filling it up with other electronics that work better and don't need servicing quite so much. Yeah, that's, you know, that's an interesting uh, perspective and I- idea about all this. But for me, it was definitely, I don't know, one, one day somebody said, you know what, you're the you new, know, like, progressive keyboardist, and you really should have the, you know, the full on, you know, modular synthesizer behind you. And that really resonated with me at that point. I said, yeah, you know, I should have that. I want to have that. That's cool. But then I was thinking about it. And I, you know, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, I'm definitely into technology. I'm into keyboards. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to, like what happened, I wanted to take the, synth- the modular off the road and put something behind me that was more, to me, a little bit more like current and, and technical in a different way. So, 
So I still, so like in this tour, I also have something really cool behind me, but it has nothing to do with like a modular synthesizer. But what it is, is we have this very cool, I think it's like a 60 inch plasma screen TV that come that comes that uh, has the ability to kind of be dropped into the case and it, it's automated so it can, can come up at the right time and it kind of lifts up behind me and it functions like as a wall behind me oh, but wow. on this on the screen are a couple things one uh, and this I'm very proud of is this uh, very cool program that I kind of like um, had the idea for a couple of years ago and uh, Dream Theater's 3D guy who is an Australian chap by the name of Robert Medina, is an incredible, young, talented designer. And I mentioned this idea to him a while ago, and he said, yeah, I could do it. And basically what it is is that I wanted to take this, this uh, cartoon character of me that was developed uh, a few years back for some of the Dream Theater cartoons. I wanted to take that character because I thought it was cool. And, and, and he's referred to as like the keyboard wizard. Sure. And I wanted to make a uh, 3D model of him and have him be playing in kind of another world. And in this case, we have a, uh, the character playing in, in uh, an alternate universe, playing an octagonal keyboard. Wow, and that sounds what cool. Hap- yeah, it's really cool. So what happens is that every time I play a MIDI note or do something like move the pitch wheel, or it goes beyond that, and I'll let you know about that in a second, but every time I move, this follows me in real time. So, oh, wow. it's so you like actually control it almost, right? It's like this crazy animation that you think would take somebody, you know, like months to kind of like produce that's happening in real time. Oh, wow. It's like your own avatar halo. Everybody thinks it's some, like people come up and say, is that like, is that a Wii thing? Or what is that? You know, I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, is it available? Can I get that? I'm like, well, no. <laughs> you know, it's, it's totally at this point a very custom thing. I don't think that Robert could necessarily turn that around to be a product any anytime really soon. But because it's pretty demanding, I've got a pretty cool computer uh, that's that's running it. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So it's that, and it also also thanks to uh, the various friends I've made through the years. I have a, a friend of mine, uh, J W Chai, who's in Korea who, when I mentioned this idea to, we were talking and we decided, wouldn't it be cool if whenever I rotate, because, you know, for years I've been using a rotating stand kind of a concept on stage. Okay. So, so I can turn like 360 while I'm playing, you know, uh, it's just, it keeps me from being static there. But while I move, I have a MIDI compass on the stand. So JW built me this cool thing that sits on my stand and actually looks at the movement of the stand and sends out data to the computer and tells my little animation friend all about my movement. Oh, man. This sounds like my a technological nightmare for your poor, uh, your poor tech guys. I mean, they must be doing poor, a great job. Well, everybody, you know, has really contributed a lot to making this happen, and it's, uh, it's been, you know, a work in progress, although these days everything kind of works pretty well. Um, but yeah, it's just fun, you know. Like the the uh, the animation is pretty pretty automated. As long as I'm playing and it's receiving the data, you know, he's spinning and playing and moving the pitch wheel and it's like having a little friend on stage. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. So that's one of the things. And the other thing is, I hooked up with some interesting guys um, out of Austria who uh, are doing a program called MIDI Live. And this is a and this is a pretty cool program it's not the first of its kind but it's certainly a new take on it and it's and it's very nicely done and it's in development as we speak as a matter of fact it's not even really released yet i'm just kind of uh, beta testing it but it's a program that um generates images uh all based on midi information so you've got different kind of algorithms that you can call up or, or you can call them patches and then whenever i play on my midi keyboard it will uh, you know, just generate generate images, and it's all kind of programmable. I can assign, you know, uh, the pitch wheel to uh, position. I could assign velocity to color. I can, you know, make a whole series of assignments and save them as patches. And so I'm using a bit of that as well, which is really, really nice. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a kind of... Um a very a very interesting journey that's sort of taken you from your original kind of classical training um to where you are here i mean can you kind of give me a little potted history about where how you got how did you get to here from there i mean you started out as a a classically trained pianist right 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it was um, it was an interesting journey. I mean, it started out very kind of clear and and uh, forward without much confusion as, as far as direction goes. I mean, I was I was a young person studying very seriously classical piano. I went to Juilliard. I had some of the you know really some of the top teachers that have, you know are, are are well they're not around anymore, but top teachers you know that the world has known in this day and age. My teacher, my teacher at Juilliard was the assistant to Rosina Levine. Rosina Levine, of course, was the wife of Joseph Levine, one of the greatest pianists of the last century. And she was, uh, um, she was like the, the highest respected piano teacher, you know, wow, out so there. So you got some pretty good training. But thankfully, I mean, I always think, you know, people ask me, well, what do you, you know, what do you recommend for other players? And how did you get to play this way? And I'm always like, well, I'm so grateful. I'm thankful for the, the you know, foundation I had for the instruction I had, because that's everything to me. No matter what I do, as long as I'm playing on a keyboard, you know, it all comes back to, you know, what I learned at school and how I hold my hand and the technique that I have. And, and basically what, it, you know, that comes down to, if I have something, in, if I have a musical thought in my head, how am I going to get that thought out of my hands and onto the keyboard? So whatever I do, whether it's classical music or electronic music or jazz or what have you, that uh, that ability that I that I studied so hard to develop, you know, was 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 really uh, it really happened at Juilliard, you know. That's how it, that sort of brings me to another question because obviously, um, with a lot of contemporary music, it's kind of it, it's less about the formal training, and it, some people, you know, are of the viewpoint that a strong and it's very structured and formal training mm-hmm. in classical uh, classical music can inhibit your ability to improvise or you know do what what one would yeah. consider to be feel music. I mean, what do you say to that? Well, I don't think so. I think that if somebody has a, a you know musical ta- true musical talent, then there's no reason that learning. Formally, learning classical music, learning how to read, practice, learning how to hold your position, just play anything that's natural. I mean, for me, yeah, I mean, my teachers at Juilliard might not have been so interested in, in well, some of them actually were, but <laughs> my piano teacher wasn't necessarily interested in hearing me improvise. You know, she wanted me to study and practice Bach and Beethoven. Chopin. But uh, at the same time, I was always an improviser, even at Juilliard. And when I wasn't practicing, I'd be playing, you know, sheet. My mother would put like a piece of sheet music in front, guitar music with just chords and improvise. Something I always did, something I always enjoyed, and and, uh, and something, of course, that I that I still do to this day. So I, you know, I think there's nothing wrong with like people who are natural musicians. Certainly, you know, you can come upon. Uh, a life of music in many, many different ways. Yeah, but sure. what I do, what I do feel strongly about is that if you're going to play an instrument that is like a traditional instrument, like a piano or a guitar or a violin, then you're going to need to have some kind of uh, technique. Which it's almost like you could think of it kind of. I think of it kind of like a sport. You know, you, you've <laughs> got to develop your muscles. You've got to develop your technique. You can't get what's in your head out through your hands unless you've developed a very serious technique. And that involves a lot of time and practice. I mean, nowadays, you know, we have all kinds of people making music in all kinds of ways. And I think it's amazing. And I make music in all kinds of ways too, some of which does not involve my classical technique. So I have just as much respect for the various ways that people make music. However, if you're going to make music on a keyboard, you're going to make music again on a guitar or violin, a trumpet or what have you, then you're going to do and I feel that you're going to do a whole lot better if your hands are able to, to articulate what's in your mind. So how did you get into synthesizers? Because synthesizers, I'm guessing you kind of came through maybe at the time when synthesizers were perhaps starting to um, go out of favor in kind of pop music and that kind of thing. So what was your route in? Well, actually, um, I started with synthesizers. The first, my first experience with synthesizer when I was like 17 years old and the high school kids uh, were a little bit frustrated that I was always sitting home and practicing the piano and never going out with them, hanging out, and smoking joints, or whatever the hell they were doing. So they decided that they would come over to my house and bring uh, a Moog Sonic 5 synthesizer to show me. Right. So cool they literally came, yeah, they came to my, it came to my door, door. They knocked on the door. My mother answered. They were holding a synthesizer in their hands. And... And my mother was like, kind of, what, what, are you, what are you guys doing? And I was like, wow, what's that? And so we let them in, went into my bedroom, plugged the thing in, 
got out a pair of headphones, and my life had really changed. Because as soon as I realized that I could put my hand on a key and change the pitch and also change the filter and muck with the sound like that, I just, I, like a light bulb went off in my head. And, and I, that was the beginning of, well, the beginning of the beginning. Because it really blew my mind, and then uh, you know that in conjunction with some of the music that these wonderful friends were showing me, things like uh, you know old Genesis records and Gentle Giant and Yes records, and you know, and then after that like Tangerine Dream records, and you know, all all together, it was it was cause for me to make a, a real career change. So what happened was just in a, in a nutshell is that it was time. Uh, for me to make the jump from the pre-college division of Juilliard to the college division of Juilliard. Now, even though I had been there already for about nine years, it didn't matter, and it doesn't matter to anybody. You have to re-audition. Okay. So my, my family and my teachers were very insistent that I go to the college division of Juilliard, because I had taken it this far. And so I guess due to some pressure at that point, not really knowing how I wanted to proceed, I prepared my my audition and I got in. Uh, matter of fact, I got in with the with a scholarship and got one of the best teachers who told my parents, "Oh, your son's going to emerge early on the scene as a classical pianist." And well, it was the day that I walked into uh, to Adele Marcus's um, piano studio and I had prepared the Chopin G minor Ballade to play for her, and I sat down at the piano and put the music up in front of me, opened it up and started to play. And about three minutes in, she came over and she took the music. And I was like, uh, what are you doing? She's like, well, you, can't, you, you, know, you can't read music. You have to have it memorized. I'm like, but I've only been, I just started playing this, this piece this week. She was like, oh, well, you need to have it memorized. That's how we do it. I think that that was the moment that I thought, well, you know what? I don't want to spend this much time on this kind of thing. I want right. to like playing synthesizers and turning knobs and you know, playing with sound and having a good time. So uh, it was after that that I had my uh, my very late uh, kind of like teenage rebellion and did things that most of the, my friends were doing at a much younger age and uh, and hooked up with some interesting musician people that were doing some cool things. I remember just a little aside meeting Sal Galina, who's no longer with us. Sal, uh, Sal was one of the guys who was kind of responsible for inventing the WX-7. Okay. Anyway, in those days, he was playing. I met him because I went to uh, get my Minimoog fixed, and I heard the sound coming from another room, and it kind of drew me in. And I, my friend and I were together. We walked in the room, and all of a sudden, sitting there making this incredible sound was a guy playing on a saxophone, but he wasn't blowing into the saxophone. He was just sitting there playing like a little, little I don't know, just pressing on the switches of the saxophone and making this really cool Tangerine Dream-esque you know, type of sound. So anyway, so the, my first little ensemble out of Juilliard was a trio with Sal Galena, myself, and a, um, a former teacher of mine named Joseph Lyons, who uh, at that point, he was a Juilliard professor who had gone into, uh, I guess one could say the dark side, and started to play the electric bassoon, <laughs> followed, followed by an instrument that he called the cromulizer, which was a, an instrument built by him, uh, built for him, by Sal Galena and his partner who was fixing my mini mode. So I don't know. I had, when I, when I got out of the classical thing, I went into some very bizarre, you know, like electronic headspace, like not, not spacier than Tangerine Dream, less to do with real notes and more to do with just turning knobs and making sounds. And uh, I kind of figured out my path slowly from there. So, I, I mean, in recent years, you've been kind of quite the evangelist for new technology. And, uh, and this is something that's kind of, You've certainly, we've certainly noticed a lot more in recent years. Um, how do you choose, or how does that? How do you find that products come through to you? I mean, how, what what are the criteria that you find? You kind of go, yeah, I got to have me some of that, or I'd like to get involved in helping develop it. How does that work? Um, well, you know, some of these things. I mean, right now at this point in my life, I'm a little bit plugged into this type of uh, this type of thing where if something's coming out, somebody will will write to me and say, oh, we're going to be doing this. Uh, are you interested? Which is great. Of course, it hasn't always been that way. Um, but I have my eye, you know, it's a matter of my having my eyes open for this cool stuff because I really love 
uh, I love new ways to think about sound. I especially love ways to uh, incorporate graphics and music together. To me, in my mind, it's all one thing anyway. So I'm always looking for, for new, interesting ways to put them together. Um, and, you know, I've been doing that for so many years now. I mean, things like the Tenorion, when I heard about that, uh, when I first heard about that, I wanted one so badly and I worked so hard to get one. And it was so hard to get to the yeah. point of even, even when I even when I was over in the UK and they were hard to get. I remember making a call and trying to use some Yamaha connection, but still I couldn't get it. And I was, you know, I kind of was feeling like, OK, well, maybe my career is not that great. You know, here I am, some a prog rocker and they don't want to give me a Tenorion. At any rate, so finally I managed to get one. And I, and I really enjoyed it so much. I ended up putting up, doing, doing it myself, no help from anybody. I just got together with my neighbor who does a lot of video stuff with me, and we put up a nice little tasty clip of me using the Tenorion. And, uh, of course, what happened after that is I, I got numerous letters from, you know, the Yamaha Tenorion people saying, sure. oh, thank you so much. That's so cool. Can we use it here? Can we do this? Can we do that? And that was kind of felt like. I well. think that's where we have a, we have a, a mutual connection there because I think um, we were the first to review the Tenorion, in fact, in the UK because oh. uh, it came in sort of through the UK R and D and was publicised through the UK. So I think I did a review of it, and I, I suspect your video was around around about the same time because they were very hard to get. I found um, it's interesting, isn't it? it, it that it was such a, a a revelation that thing in terms of wow, this is really cool. I mean, I personally kind of found I couldn't didn't take me to a lot of places i wanted to get but uh, it's, it's a good maybe a good stepping stone for for something else that might come along and really blow our minds yeah absolutely i'm completely with you i mean the reality of it is that i think it's wonderful to be able to create graphic patterns and then see how they sound yeah you, know, you could really really do it that way okay let me make some kind of an x or a v or let me do different things and then and then see what the sonic result is. So I think somebody who's coming more from a visual place could all of a sudden start to experience music making, and somebody who's coming from a musical place could start to relate graphic patterns to their music. But I think for us, you know, that have been kind of on this path for a long time, that it's just kind of like, you know, touching the surface, just, mm. just getting it started. I don't, you know, the Tenori. I hope that the Tenorion is the beginning of more things like that. I mean, I think I think there are some things out there that are. That are like the what's it called the monomy. Mon- uh, yeah. Obviously, the one one thing that you really must do also is get it to uh, say rude words. That's that's a, and get it to actually ha- use use it for typography. That's a good absolutely. One as well. yeah, of course, I don't know how, do. they don't always sound so good though. If you write some yeah. bad words and have them come across, they don't always sound the way you think <laughs> they would. <laughs> it's funny. So yeah, so the, so the Tenori was very interesting to me, and then you know I kind of stumbled upon the uh, the Chaosolator as well. I love that. I think that's that is uh, such a great thing. I'm, you know, I, I got that. I was so excited about it. I still am excited about it because I think it's great. And I think the Chaosolator has influenced so many of us that are doing a lot of other things. Like, for instance, you know, these these iPhone apps. I think a lot of the guys that are working on the iPhone have all, you know, many of them have seen and played with the Chaosolator, and it's inspiring. Well, also, Especially- I mean, the Chaosolator, I mean, Korg really brought gestural uh more gesture into music in a big way with the chaos pad and all those things i mean absolutely i mean this was the next question i was going to take because obviously you know part of the reason we're talking to you is because uh, you're currently promoting uh, as well as the tour you've got the this hexatone uh, musical instrument which is an iphone app and it's it's kind of quite uh unique and unusual and yeah. um i'm just wondering how, how did this how did that part of it come about i mean where yeah. where where did this come from was it kind of you or was it collaborative how did how did that happen yeah well okay so all right all this all this does lead to you know, the iPhone, iPod touch, uh, you know, situation, which for me, as soon as I started to get into that, you know, the moment I touched the screen and started to play with some of the music apps, I was completely hooked. And I thought, oh my God, this is absolutely the future. This is where all the creative minds are applying themselves. And I need to be really, really deep into this. So um, I started to get into it and made some friends uh, in that area, you know, slowly but surely, but being totally into it. Um, and one of the, one of the applications that I use a lot is called Bebop. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I bought that based on your demo cause it was some of the, you were doing some really beautiful stuff with it and it was like, wow, okay, that's cool. Yeah. Bebop is awesome. And it's made by a friend of mine over in Australia. His name is Russell Black. Uh, and he just does all the work himself. He's a really cool, cool guy sitting there doing his thing. And, uh, and actually Russell through the course of our relationship, actually made me a, a custom version of it, which has the little keyboard wizard character on it instead ah. of the little robot. 
Brilliant. But one of the things that I that I um, did with Russell is when I first discovered Bebot, I had spoken to him about a t- like a tuning system that I that I um, worked on uh, with Lippold Hocken, who is the designer of the Continuum that I use, um, which is that basically, and this holds true of the Continuum and Bebot. It's hard to compare them, of course, because they're, they're very different in price and size and everything. However, this tuning system is something that is kind of uh, holds true for both of them, which is that uh, let's look at Bebot first. I thought Russell's program was so cool that you could slide from one note to another note. But in order to really play it musically, I felt that, OK, if I slide from, let's say, a C to a G and my... The chances of my landing, especially on a small screen like that, of landing directly on the grid spot for the next diatonic pitch is almost impossible. Yeah. So what I wanted and what I asked him for is the ability to stop your finger when you think you're on the grid and have the program actually bring you into pitch. Right. So, and this is something that we do in the continuum. This was a design. This was an extension of a design that Lippold had. Uh, that I thought of just to be able to, it's, it's like a real helper, you know, imagine playing a violin and you slide from one note to the next and you get there and right before you do the vibrato, maybe it's a little flat or sharp. Well, uh, you know, uh, on Bebot, you're, you've got this little auto mode that we came up with. So, and a lot of people don't even realize it's there, but it's really super powerful. So, so it's a common, what really is musical about it is the combination of when your finger lands on a specific on any spot even if you're left or right of the grid when it first lands it can be it completely in tune but yeah. as soon as you move it slides and then as soon as you stop it tunes you to the nearest grid spot oh right so it's subtle so, but but very powerful it's it's something that i'm sure that 98 percent of people who are, who've got that application in their iphone have no idea that's what it's doing but it's so powerful that i think that the you know, entire music community needs to think about this because, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that the, that the future is, uh, you know, is only going to be like larger multi-touch screens and this kind of, and I, you know, for one, I'm looking forward to playing on um, the, the instrument that uses that kind of technology on, in this larger platform. Well, well, now seems as good a time as any to uh, introduce our first of our advertisers. So I would like to say thank you very much to Roland.co.uk for their continued sponsorship of the podcast. And um, we'd like to draw your attention to the Roland Juno DI, which is their mobile professional synthesizer, which in fact has over a thousand sounds based around the Phantom G engine. Uh, it's friendly, simple and in- easy to use, intuitive interface. Uh, it's also got got um, a mic input which has reverb processing for use uh, at gig it merges it to the stereo output you can also play back mp3 files wav files and standard midi files uh, so you can run backing tracks uh, you can mute various parts of those backing tracks it's actually quite a powerful and flexible synthesizer i reviewed it quite recently and i found it to be uh, actually quite an inspirational keyboard um, lots and lots of sounds in there to get the juices flowing great for a sort of simple writing tool 128 voices lots and lots of stuff to play with um, so please do check out the roland juno di uh, by going to roland.co.uk and uh, tell them we sent you if you bought one uh, or decide to buy one and we'd like to say thank you very much to the roland.co.uk for their continued sponsorship of the podcast it's interesting you mentioned the continuum because i know you you play it and that that is uh, a quite a, a, an ex- well a very expressive instrument and, and i suppose in a sense it's very similar to the multi-touch experience it is. It's amazing. I mean, you know, Lippold designed this incredible instrument. He designed it, I don't know how, how many years ago at this point, maybe 25, 30 years ago he started on this. And, uh, you know, he is a, uh, he's a professor at a university in, uh, of electronic music, and, and he made this thing. And really, the only people playing it for years were kind of like the academic sorts, doing kind of their little, you know, academic-style electronic sounds. Then I come along somewhere down the path, and say, you know, okay, I want to use it, but I want to use it in this way. And, and somehow it just kind of happened. I think I was in the studio one day, and Mike, and I was doing some things on it, and Mike said to me, why don't you play a lead on that thing? And I thought, wow, what an idea. And I had just finished making a bank of patches for Roland, a bunch of lead sounds. And I thought, wow, maybe if I plugged in my V-Synth lead to the continuum, it would be cool. And it was during the Octavarium uh, record that we did that, I tried that and I was like, oh my God, that is like the coolest thing. And kind of like, you know, the light bulbs went off and we both smiled. It was just he and I in the studio and I played this thing. I was like, that's it. 
And so that kind of morphed. And then I thought, well, I better tr I'm going to try some other stuff. So I tried my, um, I think I called it the, uh, the Zendrix sound or something like that. Very Hendrixy kind of sound that I made on the V synth. And, yep. and that was so totally cool. So now I kind of like have a voice, if you will, on the continuum where, you know, I go to it and people almost expect a certain sound. So, which is so different than what other people are doing. But that instrument is so cool. It was, that was a, you know, that instrument was literally a dream of mine for so many years. This whole idea of being able to play a note, like on a key or on a surface, and be able to slide to another note and then lift up and be able to accurately play. There's a sort of pedal steel multi It's a very interesting, it's quite visceral, isn't it? I mean, I've interviewed a couple of people while playing it, and they both... They've both said, yeah. you know, it's very hard to learn, but when you do, it's so expressive. Uh, well, we bring maybe bringing that back into the kind of iPod, iTouch application thing, because I, I want to give you a really good chance to promote this uh, Hexatone. I think it's because it's, it's a very interesting uh, application. I have, hadn't had a, a massive amount of time to learn uh, it personally myself, but what what were, what were you trying to achieve with with the design of this instrument? Okay, well, okay, so the Hexatone thing is very exciting for me. It's exciting because through my adventures with the iPhone, I managed to team up with um, this company, Amidio, that's based in Moscow. Matter of fact, I was in Moscow not long ago with Dream Theater, so I was able to get together with them. Uh, and it's one fellow in particular that kind of is the, uh, the head of the operation, and uh, his nickname is Toyo, and his last name is Bunko. Toyo Bunko. He's a very young guy, an amazingly cool, nice fellow who's got a really quick thinking brain that's very uh, just excited creating these new interfaces. He's also the creator of the Noise IO yeah. um, iPhone application, which is very, very deep. And when I reached out to him originally, he was really responsive. I thought that he was like a big company at first. And I wrote him a little letter. I said, you know, my name is Jordan Rudis. I'm interested in what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And I heard back from him and you know, one thing led to another. Next thing, I was meeting with him in Moscow when we were talking about creating a series of JR applications. So I was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. All this work and all this thought that I put into the iPhone now is going to, you know, pay off. I'll, I'll have a way to in, invest my energy and actually see it come back, and this will be fantastic. So uh, that's what leads us to Hexatone. So when I went to Moscow, Toyo uh, and I went out, and he showed me the beginnings of Hexatone, and asked me if it was something that I could sink my teeth into and if, he, if I wanted to put my name on it and, and work on it with him. So I thought, you know what? This is really, really cool hmm. because I don't know if he knew it at the time, but I'm so into like the new kind of like, well, IDM glitchy type of thing. I'm really, you know, ever since I discovered that Minimoog, I've been into playing with sound. So to me, progressive you know, when I think of progressive music, I think about people like or Richard Devine, you know, or, sure. uh, you know, uh, well, uh, Autiker or Aphex Twin or people who, who do like really cutting edge things with sound. So I'm, I'm really into the whole glitch thing. So when he showed me this, I was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. It's a way to like produce like glitch stuff easily on your iPhone, which, and I thought it was so innovative and different that it really caught my imagination. I said, yes, let's do this. I said, but what I want to do is if I'm going to put my name on it, I, I need to add some features. I need to add some things that make it fun, you know, fun because it's pretty, it's, it's a little bit much to wrap your head around right now. Yeah. Uh, so, so the first thing I spoke about was let's add, let's add like a, uh, let's take your retriggering function, which is in there and let's, make it possible to move the iPhone and use the accelerometer so you can start doing some cool live stuttering effects. So what's amazing about Toyo and his team is literally on Tuesday, I told him that and asked for that. And he said, yeah, yeah, that's possible. And on Wednesday night, he sent me the software. Oh, no, that is, that's the kind of creative cycle that we could really dig for, from programmers. <laughs> we need more oh of that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew right then. I, I told him right then. And I said, you know what? We're going to work together. This is going to happen because I'm, you know, not only are you a really nice guy, but, you know, you know how to get things done. We can move. We can do cool stuff together, which is a dream come true for me, especially Brilliant. on this platform that I'm so excited about. So, you know, it's just continued like that. Uh, so the next thing I got into was I decided that what we really needed to do was release Hexatone with um, some really, really unique and special sounds. Yeah. So I went into my studio and I put together 
a large number of kind of like JR custom samples. The, the instrument, if you will, itself comes with over 400 sounds. So and as part of that bank of sounds, I have some really meticulously crafted JR uh, sounds that come with it. And uh, just had a really good time creating those. I got out all my, uh, you know, all my sonic tools uh, to make that happen. And, uh, and so that's part, that's part of the program. And, and then, you know, and then we added some other live functionality to it. And now we're continuing, you know, we're very dedicated to this platform. I think that it's really, really a great, uh, a great start. It is. I mean, the, 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 the amount of stuff that's coming out for the iPhone is incredible. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, from my point of view, it'd be, it's great, but it would be really nice to see a, a competing platform so that all this creativity can go into something else that maybe has slightly different or better capabilities as well. Do you think that may, do you think there's maybe, um, a danger that by, you know, the, the, the kind of, um, the pervasiveness of the iPhone and all its applications, there's a, a there's a problem. There's a chance that we might end up to a, to a situation where there's this kind of, um, it lowers the quality threshold, or do you think that's not an issue? Oh, well, I think that, you know, I, I think there's a lot to work out right now. I think that there's iPhone applications that are very deep and much deeper than most people think that are mixed into this amazing stew of, you know, sometimes crap. It makes it very difficult to navigate. Uh, so I think Apple needs to do a little bit of work just to help people kind of get through. Well, what's a real instrument? What's just a toy? You know, even what's what's just an artist iPhone application? Right. It's all these levels. So it kind of needs one thing that would help, I think, a lot is to be able to divide up um, the iPhone app store, the music uh, section into categories like they have kind of with the games. Yeah, they don't people. really do it very well. It's not very well divided, is it? It's, it's, it's hard to all, You know, it's, it's new. Like the other day I went on, I was looking for, you know, seeing what else is out there, and all of a sudden there were like, you know, 200 different uh, artist applications that were out by this one company. You couldn't, you couldn't even sort through things to figure out, you know, what was going on. So, yeah, but like this company, but, but, you know, you have a company like Amidio that does things like they have a system where you can share samples and patterns through all their different applications. So if you create something, for instance, on uh, Star Guitar, you can bring that into Hexatone, um, and then you can start working with that and layering your rhythmic patterns against it. And then when you're done with that, you could bring it into Beatmaker. So they're thinking kind of in a more... One of the things that, that attracts me uh, about Amidio, and one of the reasons I work with them, is they're thinking on a larger scale, on a professional... Join, joining know. them all together, right, yeah. Absolutely. I think that, that that is probably the biggest key to me to, to, uh, to doing something that's professional. You know, you have these things, these little fun things, they stand alone and it's nice or whatever. But, you know, you wanna, if you want to be able to do anything real, then you want things to work together. So You, uh, you use the iPhone Live, right? You're playing Bebop on, do, on stage, yeah. right? Yeah, I do. It's fun. How does, how, does it, how does it stand up when it's put on a uh, you know, multi-kilowatt PA system? Does it, uh, does it go, go low, has the low lows and the high highs, or do you have to? Uh... It sounds beautiful. It sounds really beautiful. Actually, Russell, um, I sent Russell a multi-sample of the sound that I actually created when I was working on my Road Home album. Uh, I did a cover of Sound Chaser by Yes, mm-hmm. and I made this sound on my Oasis, actually, that's kind of like a, one of these kind of Steve Howe-ish soaring lap, lap steel sounds. So, um, so I sent Russell the sound because I thought it would be a great sound to have in Bebop. So he was nice enough to figure out a way to, to make a multi-sound work there, and I used that sound a lot, and it's just so beautiful, and everybody really responds. It's very, very lap steel sounding. Right. But, has a little extra drive to it that you know you like Steve Howe would play a really nice melody. It has that feeling to it, which is really really cool. So it stands up. It stands up well. Actually, the first thing I did, the first iPhone solo I took was on the new Dream Theater album, Black Clouds and Silver Linings, mm-hmm. uh, in the song A Rite of Passage, and that I just used Russell's standard bebop sound, the full range, just sliding around. It was even before we got into the whole uh, sophisticated tuning, you know, thing. We started to talk about you know, all, the, all those other features. Excellent. Well, so it's good to know that you're actually, you know, it's not just about um, gizmos and gadgets. They're actually useful musical tools for you. That's, that's kind Absolutely. of encouraging that's to what, know. Yeah, totally. That's what I'm looking for. I mean, I love to make sounds in unusual ways and to have fun and, and combine graphics with music, but I'm looking for, you know, real tools that I can use. And even with Hexatone, 
I want to, you know, I'm, I'm serious about hexatone. I want to take it further. I think being able to come up with these kind of like really cool, innovative drum patterns is nice. But now we need to be able to take it a step further and build a song and have more live control. And so, you know, the end result can be, you know, that much more professional. I just think there's some, you know, it's a, it's a great field to be in. And there's so much we can do with it all that it's really worth, you know, my time as, as, a, as a player and, uh, you know, as a thinker about these things. Mm. But it's interesting it's, it all comes down to gesture ultimately and sort of the ability to just interface that. I'd like to say hello and a big thank you to our second sponsors who are loopmasters.com please check out their stuff they've got a whole bunch of loops beats sample packs and sounds and reason refills uh, for all kinds of music by all kinds of top producers if you want to check out and have a taste of what they do email us at freestuff at sonicstate.com and we'll send you a link to download some some of their sample packs also uh, you get the opportunity to sign up for their emailing list which is obviously up to you but if you do it makes us look great and keeps them coming back and helps us grease the wheels and keep the show running so uh, one once again, thank you to loopmasters.com for their continued sponsorship. By the way, if you want to see what they're up to, uh, they do a video podcast over at looptv.net, which allows you to check out their latest releases. They've also got an interview with Adam Friedland, who's touring his Cope LP uh, about life on the road. And there's also a tutorial from uh, the brilliant Rob Jones about the vocoder in Ableton Live 8. So please do check out looptv.net. And if you want that free stuff, free stuff at sonicstate.com. And once again, thank you very much to loopmasters.com for their continued sponsorship of the show have you have you actually got a gig tonight then what's what time are you on stage uh, you know we're not playing till late tonight our show is at 10 20 p.m okay. which is uh, in a while eight hours or so all oh, right no. okay so a long day for you guys yeah well we're you know what it's kind of in a way it's kind of relaxing because we've got all these other bands that are playing before us so uh, we don't have to get there until a little bit later uh when, when, when we get into the theater then we have our uh you know, we usually have to sign a million things and then do a meet and greet and then uh, warm up a bit, practice, and then we hit the stage and then we end up staying up till all hours of the night, uh, being boring, like, you know, like we are. We're not, we're not big partiers in this band. We have too many notes to uh, keep track of. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine it must be, uh, it's quite a kind of workout, I imagine. I mean, uh, I've not yeah. seen the Dream Theatre live. I mean, do you, you play quite a large role in the, uh, the kind of live performance, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's five of us, and we're playing a lot of really wild, progressive, cool, you know, rock and roll music. So, uh, and it's it's really really a fun gig. We have a good time, but you know, we have so many we we have so many notes, and there's so many rhythms. There's a lot of meter changes, and we really have to stay on our toes. I mean, I don't want to ruin anybody's fantasy of uh, you know what dream theater or what rock bands do after hours, but yeah. this man, you know, I mean, we actually practice. You, you, you'll, if you walk backstage before a Dream Theater concert, you'll see like uh, you know all of us sitting there practicing to metronomes and doing all that kind of just uh, getting the muscles we, ready. Yeah, for sure. I'll do some stretching. I'll you know get my fingers going. And John Petrucci is sitting there with his metronome, doing all kinds of amazing things. And John Myung, the bass player, is you know finds himself a nice little dark corner somewhere and is practicing his trills and scales and. You know, and everybody and everybody's warming up. The singer is doing his exercises. Mike finds a little drum pad, and we, you can't go on stage. Uh, you know, you just can't go on stage and play Dream Theater's music, Cold. especially the, op- <laughs> the opening song, which is called "A Nightmare to Remember." You, you just couldn't do it. You have to be warmed up and somewhat loose to be able to pull it off. So uh, that's basically that's okay. Great. What well, it is. Th- thank you. Um, I had a question in from a chap called Union of. V uh, from Twitter, and he uh, said, "Could I ask Jordan uh, what he considers the role of the keyboardist has become in the 21st century?" It's a question he says he asks himself a lot. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, <clears throat> in many ways, the keyboardist is almost you know, and it depends on the style, of course, of music. What you're doing, there's so many pl- people play keyboards these days that use them just to as a particular function. You know, maybe where you're in a band or something and the guitar player needs to get some keyboard tracks on his album and plays enough that he can sequence something, you know, and then they don't, the band doesn't even need a keyboard player. The days, it's funny because it seems like the days of the, you know, great keyboard players are in some ways have, you know, faded a little bit. And and, and it's sad. I like to think that that something that I'm doing can help, you know, kind of keep the, keep the spirit of the real keyboard player alive especially in a time when 
you know, the instruments and the technology keeps on getting stronger and there's so many more possibilities. I mean, I could walk on stage with one keyboard and do an entire night of cool sounds and, you know, like large keyboard performances. So the technology has only made it easier to be a keyboard performer. However, the other side of it, you know, that, uh, you know, in many of the styles of music, especially in the pop genre, the keyboard just plays a small role or it's or it's all sequence based and you don't necessarily need a player. Yeah, so, yeah. Composing role, one of the things I one of the things that I'm definitely going to be doing uh over the next years is is putting out more energy towards the uh education part of of keyboard playing to show people really what's possible uh using a keyboard as a performance instrument. And probably what I'll do is incorporate some of these visual things that I've been lucky enough to uh, have the possibility to explore and, and do maybe do some shows and do some, some, ed- some uh, ed- education, just showing how all these things can really come together. Yeah, well, because, you've got your conservatory as well, haven't you? So you're kind of very much into yeah. the tutorial side of things, so that makes, makes a lot yeah, of sense. I'd like to hook up with Juilliard or Berkeley or, you know, at some point soon when I have a little time and, and really start to show young keyboard players what's possible with the tools. One thing, that, one thing that's a little bit sad is that you know, the, the companies like the Korgs and the, you know, Rolands and Yamahas, they have a rough time when it comes to designing the larger instruments. Like, for instance, the Oasis that I play on stage is not even being made anymore. And Korg's only making things that are, that are less than the Oasis. Right. Right. And it's like Roland. Thing, yeah. Who, yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. And Roland, who made this wonderful Phantom G, I mean, there's so many more things. They, it's a great instrument, but there's so many more things they could do with it. And it's difficult because they wonder how what's the mar- what's the size of the market? Yeah. Why should we why should we invest a lot of money to build something that Jordan Rudis will love and a few other people? <laughs> you know, it's 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 a tough one. So that's what we're kind of up against. Hey, um, I wanted if, if it's okay with you, I want to just mention my new solo album. Of course. In this format. Oh, great! Thank you. I have a new solo album out. It's called Notes on a Dream, and actually, it's uh, it's a solo piano album. But the interesting thing about this solo piano album is that it's all done with Ivory software. Ah, uh, yes, I saw some information about that. That's right, the synthogy. Yeah. yeah, it started out. It was going to be an album all done with uh, uh, my nine-foot Steinway Grand in my house. Um, but due to uh, some complications there, one of which is that uh, I have a dog and a cat that no matter how hard I tried, at some point one of them would kind of interfere either by snoring, scratching, barking, or meowing. <laughs> and because uh, my house is not exactly a studio environment. So uh, that, was, that was problematic. And the other thing that was actually part of it was that I, I spent two days recording the Steinway piano. And I'm just so incredibly picky these days, I guess from working with you know, MIDI and electronics and just being in that world, that I couldn't take it. Because every time I'd come to a part and I'd play like, a note just at a velocity that I thought it was a little too low. I'd be like, no, <laughs> you can't punch in. At least I couldn't in that environment. No, I was recording direct to my little Korg MR 1000. So uh, anyway, so this, the project moved to my studio and uh, I got out my ivory software, which I love so much. It's such a great piece of software. It sounds amazing. And I challenge anybody to, uh, you know, to know that it's not a beautiful acoustic piano. And, uh, and I did this album. It's actually, it's actually an album of Dream Theater songs, for the most part. Nine Dream Theater songs. Uh, some, of our, uh, some of our favorite ballads mm-hmm. that I took, my own piano arrangements. And then, then there are three original songs that I also put on there, uh, some of which are kind of more progressive, uh, kind of like Emerson meets uh, you know, Bar Talk or something. So, oh, that sounds uh, really interesting. I'll have to check that out. Can we get that on iTunes and all the usual places? Yes, it just became available on iTunes, actually, about a week ago. So there you oh, go. perfect timing. Yeah. Well, thank you awesome. very much for letting us know about that. There was one last question, which uh, is, intrigues me, because one thing about the role of keyboard players, certainly in the 21st century, is we sort of seem to be, or, or people who are involved in keyboards, uh, information technology and management of data and stuff seems to be kind of becoming a big part of our job do you find that there's whole periods of time that you're actually just messing around with technology in between making time to actually play with the stuff or are you kind of pretty much together on that put it this way nick there's not a day that goes by that i don't question why i'm doing all this and why i'm not just playing the piano because it gets so involved you know just keeping your i mean 
just keeping things up to date, you know, backing up your computer, making sure you have, you know, all your ducks in a row so you don't crash and lose everything. I mean, it's insane. It makes me a little bit crazy. Like, I just got this keyboard. I'm not even going to mention what kind of keyboard because it wouldn't be fair. But I just got this keyboard and I've been I've already spent like three days just putzing with it on the road trying to figure out how the hell it works. <laughs> and I, and I for the life of me, there's something wrong and I can't and it's driving me nuts. But there's part of me that wants to go in there again and, you know, nail it. Yeah. Yeah, and just do whatever it takes. I, you know, I go into the library, they dump the preferences, I reinstall, I do this, I update, I, you know, and, and I just can't get it. And I'm just like, it's, you know, why? And then I say, why am I doing this? And of course, I know why I'm doing it because the end result is, yes, I'll be turning knobs and at some point I'll be happy that they'll be linked up to what I need them to be linked up to. And, you know, and then the other night I was doing something with my iPhone where, where I was trying to get on the hookup, you know, Wi Fi server on the hotel and, trying to link them up so I could do some work and I couldn't do that. And I was on the phone with the tech support and, and I'm thinking, why aren't I just practicing the piano? It's <laughs> <laughs> like a total waste of time. So yeah, there's that. I mean, if, if I didn't love the feeling of the sounds that these things produced and the graphics that they produce when they're all working, then I wouldn't do any of this because it's really a pain in the butt, you know, a lot of the stuff. And, and actually one of the things that's, that's lessened it uh, a bit for me and made it a little bit more pleasant is I finally got wise this last year. And I hired a guy uh, to come in every now and then and to, you know, look what software needs to be updated, make sure that things are backed up. And, you know, I, I, it took me a long time to do that. And I finally had, you know, the opportunity and the possibility of doing that. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to do that because I got to lighten the load of that a little bit. I'm using so much software. It's all so insane. So this will make it more reasonable for me. So I did that and that helps. But now, of course, I'm on the road and there's been 3 million updates. When I get home to my studio, you know, I got <laughs> to take a month off of work and just like update things. Well, you can always leave them as they are, though. Well, that's true, but it's not my style. Ah, well, that's, <laughs> that's a different kind of compulsion, isn't it, really? That's something that, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure anybody can help us with that kind of thing. But. Yeah, I love my iPhone. I, you know, I have to know about all the different cool iPhone apps. And, you know, I got to keep up with that and play with them all and do this and that and uh, you know, you know, it's no wonder I'm not sleeping that well. Now, now I talking to you, I just realized. Well, I'm glad I've been able to uh, assist you with a little bit of therapy, just as a listener, perhaps. Jordan Rudis, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really hope you have a great gig tonight, as I'm sure you will. And uh, um, thank you for telling us about Hexatone, which you can get in the App Store, and also your new solo album, which also is on iTunes. We'll put the links in the show notes. And thank you very much. It's been a, a real honor. Awesome, Nick. Thank you so much for your time as well. Take care. 